0: morning scripture will be john 4 23 and 24. if you'd like to follow along in your pew bibles it'll be on page 941. but the hour is coming and now is when the true worship worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, We welcome back our youth. Uh, It's wonderful that camp week was such a blessing to everybody involved, and we're thankful that you're back home. Uh, We're also thankful that we have a small group in Marlington, West Virginia, beginning a vacation Bible school today and running through Wednesday. Continue to pray for them and for that wonderful little town and that small congregation uh, that we've formed such a good relationship with for many years now. Also keep in mind that a week from tomorrow begins our vacation Bible school here at Mount Juliet. Be praying for that, be inviting to that. But also if you are a worker, be sure and pick up your t-shirt out in the foyer after services this morning. Worship God in spirit. I read this past week about a professor. He had a mysterious way of entering into his lecture hall. And as he would approach his podium, he'd reach into his pocket every class session and he'd pull out a tennis ball and he'd lay it on the corner. Then he would go behind the podium and he would lecture. And at the very end of his lecture, he would close his notes. He would reach for the ball and place it back in his pocket and he would exit. This went on class after class after class. And finally, one particular day, he was lecturing. And a student fell fast asleep in the desk in front of him. Without missing a beat, he reached over for the tennis ball, squarely hitting the student right in the head as he threw it the next class he walked in just as he always did. He reached in his pocket and he pulled out a baseball (laughs) and no one went to sleep the rest of the year. That did make me think about why do we come into worship? I know sometimes you just can't help, the medication has a side effect, you're up much later than what you expected, you're so tired and you just couldn't help it, you fell asleep, we get it, we've all been there. But when you really stop to think, why are you here? Is it enough just to be here and if you daydream some and, and if you plan next week, that's fine and if you just people watch, that's okay too? Is all of that okay if that's really your intentions of being here? It made me think about what if we took and created four broad categories that perhaps everybody in America could fall into as it pertains to worship. One category would be not important. In other words, there are a lot of people that they sincerely believe that worship has no importance at all. Now before maybe you say, how could they think that? Think about it. They probably don't know God at all. They probably have never had anyone in their life that, that God and worship of God has been important to them. And so they haven't seen a parent worship. They haven't seen a grandparent. They haven't ever known anybody intimately that worships God. And so it's just easy for them to say, you know, I get it that some people do that every week, but it's not important to me. But then we could create a second category, those that they would say it's not a priority, Sure, I, I will go to worship from time to time, but if there's something else happening in the weekend, if there's something else happening in my life, it's just not a very high priority for me. A true story, I was, I was a senior in high school and I visited a, a, a local church in the area. And when I went in, I was so shocked to see one of my buddies. We were pretty good friends at school and I just really wouldn't expecting him to ever be in church by the way he lived and so we smiled when we saw each other i went over and we shook hands and gave each other a hug and and you know when you know somebody well enough and i said i really didn't expect to see you in church and he laughed he said oh yeah yeah he said i go to worship i said okay i i just didn't know that and he said yeah i go every easter and every christmas and he, he wasn't joking he was serious i said okay i said i, I just didn't know that and he said well Now that I think about it, I haven't been the last three Easter's or Christmases, but I go every Easter or Christmas. And so I laughed, I called him out. I said, so what you're saying is you haven't been to church in four or five years. He said, yeah, that's about right. You know, it's it's some people, their mindset is, sure, worship is a really good thing. It's just not a priority. And so if weeks or months or years go by, I'll get there one day. Then there's others that worship and attending worship is a high priority. But for them, it's more about being present. It's kind of like when you were in junior high and the teacher called the role. And when they said your name, you said, here. And I guess some have the mindset that every Sunday some way, God is calling a role and, and he's just looking down. And all you have to do is say, here, I didn't forsake the assembly, Hebrews 10 and 25, and, and I've done everything you want me to do now. But then there's another category. And that category is what we read about in John the fourth chapter. And, and if you have your Bible, let's look at it there in 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and now is, when the true worshipers, you see that's our fourth category. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so as we think about worshiping in spirit, let's quickly be reminded of what is worship. A true worshiper is one that has deep love, and adoration in their heart for God. They have lived with Christ being the king of their life all week. They have seen the blessings of God in their life all week. They, in their personal devotion and prayer life, have communed with God all week. And they look forward to the opportunity to gather with the church family, God's family, and worship Him together pouring out their love and adoration and praise to Him. Now, as we think about that worship, it is interesting and sad how some probably approach God much more as if He was a beggar. You know, I offer God what I like to offer Him. It makes me feel so good when I do this and just fill in the blank. You know, I I like it when a church does this and fill in the blank. And it's as if people that talk like that They never stop and ask, what did God want in worship? Because from the beginning of the Bible, literally Genesis 4 to the end of the Bible, we see it again in Revelation 19, the talk all the way through is whether or not what we've offered to God is acceptable, meaning acceptable to God, not meaning acceptable to us. And so it is important Very important for us to think as true worshipers. Are we treating God as if he's a beggar, as if to say, hey, this is what I'm going to give you today and you're going to like it because I like it. Or do we see God as he is on a throne high and lifted up? I know we can't physically with our eyes see him, but that doesn't change the fact that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is on a throne high and lifted up. And when we think about the word king, remember that's the very idea of one that reigns. Do we submit to him in everything in our life, including worship? How does the king of kings want me to approach him? How does he want me to pour out my love and adoration to him? And that truly is what is involved in worshiping God in spirit and in truth. But let's think especially of that idea of of worship. And then we'll look at that idea of worshiping in spirit. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 100. And these first two passages, uh, for time's sake for this lesson, we're going to have to scan them because I want you to see more of the composition of the entire passage than the details of the passage. In Psalm 100, we see this kind of broken up in verse 1, 2, and 3 as a section, and then verse 4 and 5 as a section. 1 and 2 give scenes or descriptions of worship. In verse 1, we're making a joyful shout to the Lord. In verse 2, we're coming before his presence with singing. Now, pause and say, what is worship? Well, worship is supposed to be pouring out adoration to God, but here is what we must be mindful of. If the root of our English word worship goes back to worth W-O-R-T-H, in other words, who is he? And is he worthy of my love and adoration? You see, that's the very root of worship. It's worship. And so, what we see very quickly is if we do not know who God is, we can't worship Him. And so, what's interesting all through the scriptures is we see the fact that individuals that clearly knew who God really is are the ones that can pour out their worship. And so notice, we have the scene here in one and two of coming into his presence, but notice verse three. This would be disconnected without the knowledge in verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who has made us. So if we're gonna enter into the assembly with singing, what do we need to know? He is our creator. He is the Almighty. We are the creation. And so we enter in with great humility to praise the one who has created us and reigns over us. See it again in verse four. Strong language of worship. We're entering to his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Now pause there. Why? Oh, I loved worship this morning. I tell you what, that was my favorite songs. I love it. Oh, I just love the harmony. You know, I loved it. The people around me, well, they were so friendly to me today. You know, the preacher wasn't quite as boring as what it usually is today i just love where do you see worship all about you do you see it all about you if so who are you loving and adoring let's be honest what you're saying is i love going to places where i can worship me i love it when all the attention is upon me can you make me feel good? Can, can the ones leading make me feel good? Can the people sitting around me make me feel good? Now listen, it's wonderful when we can leave worship and we feel good. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that is the priority and while we're there, we have missed the concept of worship completely. The concept of worship is we enter into praise, we enter into sing, we enter into pray because, well, here's one example, verse five, the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. When we see him for who he is, he is worthy. And all of our time is to approach the one that is truly worthy in our praise. Let's see one more example of that. And, and by the way, it, the Bible was full of these examples. Psalm 22 is oftentimes uh, considered a messianic psalm because so much that took place in Jesus' life, especially as it relates to the crucifixion was prophesied in Psalm 22. Now, obviously, the one at the time that was writing this, the man that was writing this, probably had no idea of exactly what the crucifixion scene would look like. He is writing by inspiration. The Holy Spirit is giving prophetic message here. Jesus quoted Psalm 22 and verse one from the cross. Remember my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there's a lot of other references we're gonna skip over. Drop down to verse 16. They pierced my hands and my feet. We, we see crucifixion language. Verse 18, they divided my garments among them and my clothing, they cast lots. And so from the first verse to that verse, we see a lot of language describing the crucifixion. And then we see a little bit of a shift to say, why would this happen? And the prophetic messages in this, in verse 19, Oh, my strength, talking about the Lord. Deliver me, talking about the Lord. Verse 21, save me, talking about the Lord. And then we have that transition in 21 at the end before we go to 22. You have answered me. So the first part of of the chapter is about the crucifixion. And then we can pause and say, why do we need the crucifixion? We need strength. We're spiritually dead. We need to be delivered. We need to be saved. And then there's that cry at the end of 21, he answered me. And so what is the result of him saving us? Notice this language in 25, it is all scenes of worship. My praise shall be for you. Look at 26, those who seek him will praise the Lord. Look at the end of 27, that the nation shall worship before you. Look at 28. The kingdom is the Lord and he rules over the nation. Look at 29. We shall eat and worship. Look again later in 29. Shall bow before him. Let's read 31. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. Do you realize In this messianic prophecy, what is laid out is that look what Jesus is going to do for us as He dies on the cross, because it truly is for us. We need to be delivered, we need to be saved, we need spiritual strength. Why? Because it's going to give us the opportunity to come into His presence and worship. Have you been saved? so that you can worship? Have you been saved and therefore you do worship? I don't know which one that God would say, it's stronger towards the first one or the latter one if God would say to those, yes, both of those. Isn't it amazing that the very idea of worship is coming before the presence of God? Who has the right, the privilege, or the opportunity to come before the presence of God if you cannot come through Jesus Christ? Remember, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, his blood was shed, and what happened? The veil in the temple was rent open. In other words, now the ark that had the mercy seat of God, the very presence of God, now could be approached by all individuals through Jesus. So the very idea of us coming into worship to approach the presence of God, we have no opportunity to do that unless we are saved. We are saved, therefore we can worship, but perhaps we can also say we are saved to worship. And that really helps us lend sight. If you wanna chew on something this week, think about that as it relates to the very picture of heaven as it's given to us in the scriptures. And what do we see over and over? We see the picture of heaven that it's scenes of worship. We long to be with God and that's what worship is. God, I want to approach your presence and I want to pour out my love and my adoration to you. And so we go back now to not only what is worship, but what is worship in spirit? Notice again, he says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. What is in spirit? The word spirit, just by definition and its root, means a current of air or a breath. That's really what the root of spirit is. And within that is the idea by analogy or figuratively speaking, it is the idea of the inner man, the spirit of man, Sometimes even thought of as the soul of man. Perhaps we could see it this way. It's very clear as we read in scripture that there is an outer man, the fleshly body, And there is an inner man. And the inner man, we know from various scriptures, contains a heart, a soul, a mind, a spirit. And so perhaps this spirit involves all of the inner man. We see Galatians 5, one angle of approaching this is we can live our life and and if we live by the carnal nature, the works of the flesh will be manifested. Or we can live with our spirit in unison with God's spirit and the fruit of the spirit would be produced in our life. Romans, the seventh chapter, gives us a description of what happens when we're at odds where the flesh is having a, uh, or the carnal nature is having a civil war, if you will, with the spiritual nature. And, and there's language in there that we can identify with most likely where, where the spiritual man is saying, there are things I want to do and I'm not doing them or there are things I don't want to do and, and I'm doing those. And, and he cries out, oh, wretched man that I am. But that's when Jesus says, I can save you and I can help you through this. And so when we think about just the very idea of the outer man and the inner man and to think that God wants us to worship in spirit, in other words, he wants the inner man to be involved in this we know the complexity at least we think we know somewhat the complexity of the outer man we have doctors that go to school for years and years so they can learn the physical body we we have uh, uh, biologists and scientists that even study things that pertain to the physical body and as complex as it may seem don't you know that if god could reveal very clearly to us we'd probably gasp because i assure you the inner person is even more complex And it is the inner person that I believe that Jesus is dealing with when he says, I want you to worship God in spirit. In other words, it's not enough to just be present. I want your heart, your soul, your mind. I want those to be involved in worship. And so what would this look like? Notice in Colossians, the third chapter, we're gonna scan several verses here just to show how worship in scripture is never reduced to just an outward practice. It always begins in the heart. For example, singing. Is it enough to be present and just open your mouth? Because a lot of the songs we sing, we know them by rote memory. So is it enough to say, wow, I really sang out today? Is that enough or does the Lord want it to come from somewhere other than just the lips? Look in Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace, where? In your hearts to the Lord. The word grace means generous gift. God says, I want you to have a generous gift in your heart for me. And it's that love and adoration. And he says, I want you to sing that gift to me. Now, where does that gift begin? It begins in the heart. So if a person doesn't love and adore God in their heart, there's no way they can worship because that's what worship in spirit is. It's going to begin in the inner person. look at this very same thing in 1 Corinthians 14 and 15. What is the conclusion then? And they they had a real problem because they were becoming some apparently that were speaking in tongues were becoming arrogant about their gift. And it's kind of like, hey, look at me, look what I can do. And this is in the midst of worship. And and so part of the conclusion is, is this. I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. It's interesting the way he links those two together. He says, listen, It's not enough for you to get up there and and speak in a tongue and you don't even know. In other words, there was no interpreter available. You don't know what you're talking about. Nobody else knows what you're talking about. That's not what worship is about because worship is to begin in the inner person that knows God. How can you worship a God you do not know? If you do not know the Almighty God is the Creator, how can you worship Him as Creator? If you do not know that He's good, if you do not know that His mercy is everlasting, if you do not know that His truth endures, how can you worship Him in those things? We have to first know this in order to worship Him in that way. And so he says, you're going to have to worship in spirit, in other words, you're going to have to worship in understanding. Now, let's think also as he said there about prayer. Let's let's take that a little further. Let's drop down to Matthew the 6th chapter and verse 7. Matthew the 6th chapter and verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen's do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. God, what do you want us to do? He says, I don't want you to pray something that's wrote. If it's not something that is from your spirit, from your inner person, how much do you love me? What are the deep petitions that you wanna take to me? What's the deep and real gratitude that you have in your heart? How many things do you thank God for in a prayer that truthfully you've not thought any gratitude toward it except when you just bowed your head to pray? And then it's kind of like, oh, what am I going to say in this prayer? Are you saying a prayer that is what you think should be said? Or are you saying a prayer that is the depths of your heart of gratitude, of praise, and of cr- requests and petitions that you take to God? Think about what he says here in Matthew 6 and 7 and then compare that to James 5 and 16 where the last part of James 5 and 16 says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What a different description. Vain repetition or effective, fervent prayer. But it's also about the Lord's Supper. Back there again in First Corinthians eleventh chapter, we see them abusing the Lord's Supper in a lot of horrible ways. And finally, instead of going over all the ways they were doing it wrong, it's as if he says, Let's just go back and let me tell you what jesus revealed and how the lord's supper is supposed to be taken and you remember in 24 when he had given thanks this is 1 corinthians 11 24 he broke it and he said take eat this is my body which is broken for you now what's the rest of this do this in remembrance of me and then in 25 when he took the cup he closed that again by saying this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me What's the message there? Partaking of the Lord's Supper is not something where you say, well, you know, I was present today and I, and I ate bread and I drank the fruit of the vine and I partook of the Lord's Supper today. And God says, were you doing it in remembrance of me? Did it go back to a heart of gratitude of look what God has done? Look at the incarnation of Christ. Look at the sacrifice of the body. Look how the blood has redeemed. Look how Jesus loved me enough to redeem me by his blood and etc. cetera. And even our giving... Is supposed to be in spirit. In 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, look here as he says, so let each one give, how? As he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God, where do you want my giving to begin? In your wallet? No. Your your giving doesn't begin with a wad of cash or a checkbook. Your giving, God says, begins in the heart. What have you planned to give? Under the old covenant, they had to to stop and count. How how much is a tithe? In other words, how much have I been blessed? Now, what is a tithe of what I've been blessed? And then we go to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, and we find out that we also were supposed to give as we have been prospered. And so it's the very idea that God wants us once a week to stop and count our many blessings and then say, this is what I'm giving based upon what he has given me this week. Stop and count our blessings and give as we have purpose in our heart. And then finally, even the preaching and teaching of God's word and the learning of it is to be in spirit. You remember the parable of the souls. We read in verse 11 that the seed is the word of God and the seed fell into three different types of soul. And you remember that we read about the only good soul and it was the fourth one and he says, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and what? Good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Taking the word of God into the depth of our heart and saying, God, I'll submit. It's not in one ear and out the other ear. We have just gone over five avenues of worship and all five of them clearly begin in the heart. And that's what Jesus meant when Jesus said to worship him in spirit. What I learned today... Number one, worship is expression, not impression. It's what you have expressed today to God, not have we impressed you today with what we've done. Number two, worship springs from our spirit. In other words, there's a source for everything. And the source of worship from within us is supposed to be just that, within us, from our spirit. Number three, to simply be present isn't enough. To sing or to bow in prayer or to open the Bible isn't enough. Our heart and spirit is being involved. Number four, Paul included the word understanding. We must worship with spirit and understanding. We're about to extend an invitation. And it's interesting in Psalm 51 when David had his darkest chapter in his life. Nathan comes and calls him out. And and apparently Psalm 51 is where David, and we'll say in a symbolic sense, hits his knees. And he pours out his heart in prayer to God, asking God to forgive him. And because of what we study today, I, I just want you to think about this as we extend the invitation. Verse 15 of 51 and following. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall bow forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I'd give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now let's be real clear here. David was not saying, I'm never gonna worship God again because God doesn't want any kind of offerings. God doesn't want me to give him anything. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, I can't continue offering all these sacrifices to God when my heart hasn't been broken and humbled to his will. And so in other words, what he was saying was, God, if what you wanted today was a, a thousand lambs on an altar, I'd lay a thousand lambs on the altar. But I realize what the problem is today. The problem hasn't been my sacrifices. The problem has been my spirit. My inner man has been pride-filled and arrogant. My inner man has told you the way I'm going to live instead of letting you tell me the way I'm going to live. And so this man that probably for the last year had been offering all these sacrifices to God while he had been guilty of adultery and murder finally is humbled and says, I know what's lacking in my life and I'm going to bring it to you. I'm gonna bring you an inner person that is broken, an inner person that realizes how much I have gone against you. There is nothing superficial and shallow about a relationship with God, nor worship to God. And if it can't change and form our hearts, it's not real. And so this morning, we sing a song of invitation because none of us are perfect. And that's why Jesus came to this earth, to redeem us. And when we recognize what it means to be saved, we can't help but say, look how I can worship now. Look how I can come into the presence of God and pour out my love and adoration for his salvation. And so if you have never been saved, why not this morning as a believer, repenting of sins, confess that Jesus is the son of God and be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins and rise out of those waters as a child of God, saved and living your life, allowing him to be the king that reigns over your life. Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way, he stopped being the king in your life. And maybe along the way, even if you didn't say it verbally, your actions were saying, God, I'll tell you how I'm going to live. And maybe you can join David this morning and say, you know what? I'm sorry I ever did that. I'm sorry I ever let myself get in that situation. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to be broken spirit and I'm going to come back to him. And not only will that save us, that creates the atmosphere within of worship. If we can help you in any way,